Good morning. I trust that we can all say that it is well with our souls this morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. This morning, by God's grace, I come bearing good news. Let me ask you a question. Are you living the old rugged life? Or have you reckoned it dead on the old rugged cross? I'd like to share a portion of a hymn, Through the Blood. And sinners fitted for the sky, yes, unto God himself brought nigh, made meet or suitable to dwell with Christ on high. Through the blood. This morning we want to touch on the gospel. And this is the essence of the gospel. That that God takes ordinary people like you and me. Sinners by nature. And makes them fit. For the presence of almighty God. To be in heaven. This is a precious message. That we get to. Sharon. Some things that have been on my heart through the, the course of the past few months and through my walk with the Lord even is this thought of the gospel. Paul says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. That touches my heart. Am I ready? To preach the gospel. With every. We have a picture of a man here. Who's with his actions. His words. Every fiber of his being. He is ready to preach the gospel. We get another picture of a man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. If our gospel be hidden. Or veiled. It is hidden or veiled to those that are lost or perishing. Here's a picture of an individual who is suppressing, holding down the truth. And then there's another verse that's been on my mind. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I bring my body into subjection so that when I preach to others, I myself may not be disapproved or disqualified. My thought in this concerning the gospel is that what we do in our life matters. It makes a big difference when it comes to sharing the gospel with the people that watch our lives. So reading in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated or set apart to the gospel of God which he, God, promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, 
that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and of men or of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by what by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. To start out with, in verse 17, we see that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. We see in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed. Why? Let's look at this real quick. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God comes because of what men do, their actions. That which comes out of a man defiles a man. And we see that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, an unrighteous character. Well, uh, let's ask the question, what is righteousness? Righteousness is simply a right standing. Okay, It's to take a stand on things that are right. It's a right position. You ever get in an argument with somebody and you know you're wrong? And you try to defend it still? That's unrighteous. It's not right. And it's hard. It kind of hits you right here. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. God has a right standing before himself. Uh, God's righteousness is exactly in line with his standard, which is holiness. We see that he is separated Uh, from all that is contrary to his person or being. And what's interesting is that God does not stand by idle with the issue of sin. Okay, He takes it up and demonstrates his goodness and his grace to all mankind that they may know God and his salvation through faith. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. And we want to look at... Another portion, go to verse 9. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, 
There is none righteous, no, not one. And I will stop there because it only gets worse. (laughs) Okay? Man is without righteousness and has been ever since the Garden of Eden. He's a naked creature, defiled and without glory. We know that at some point God brings the law in and man figures, well, here's the law. Here's the law. Perhaps I can gain some righteousness through this. Well, let's go to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, poor soul, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh Will be, guilt, uh, will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Strike number two, man cannot get righteousness through the law. It just will not happen. He cannot even be justified. That's to be declared righteous. It's one thing to stand in your own righteousness. It's another thing to stand in, in another righteousness. It's not your own, but, but it's given to you. You can't even get it through the law. What a helpless creature we are. There's hope. Verse 21. Oh, real quick, let me make mention of something. When it comes to the gospel, we see here that for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When it comes to the gospel, the place of the law is to show that we're sinners. And then we're going to find out about it some more here. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. We learned in chapter 1 that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And here we learn that the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. This is good news. This is something good to hear about. It's not connected. You mean there's a way of getting righteousness apart from the law? Here I am. I'm, I'm without it. I don't have it. But I need it. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's keep reading. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is good to know that righteousness comes apart from the law. And that it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Man can gain righteousness. There is a courtroom. And the judge comes in and sits down. It's God in all his judicial array. Majesty. Justice. He's righteous without question. 
the world is brought in and placed in the seat of the accused. The accusations are read and the verdict is passed. Sinner. Guilty. But before the condemnation is read, God, the judge, stands up. He takes off his judicial array. He lays it down on the chair. He steps down to the sinner's dock and, and the world is brought out and set aside. And he sits down in the seat of the condemned. And there he exacts the very condemnation that was deserved. And he puts it upon himself. Some say that if Christ died for the sins of everyone, then when God sends the unbeliever to hell, it is a double payment. Well, we need to ask some questions. Show me where hell is described as a temporary place of holding till payment is made. What is the payment the sinner must make? And where does he go once payment is made? And does he stand in his own righteousness? I don't think so. Listen, hell is a real place. It is an eternal place. It was created for the devil and the demons. It is a destination, not a payment station. Every sinner is destined for hell as a result of their unbelief. But every believer is predestinated for heaven. That's a destination that does not change. And the believer has a reservation in heaven, a seat at the table is waiting for them. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be returning to Romans in a bit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, I preached the gospel to you and you received it. This tells us that the gospel is a free gift. It's something that is presented and received, and the sinner must receive it by believing, by what we call faith. It would be like, just like you take in air, when you breathe in the air, it sustains you. When you eat food or you drink a, a liquid, it nourishes you. The gospel becomes a part of you. You take it into that measure. To merely just set it on the table doesn't do anything for you. Jesus said in John chapter 6, If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life in you. You abide in me. He also said, If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. He has to become a part of you. 
Paul continues, he says, in which you stand. The gospel is the position of the believer. This is where the Christian stands. The believer stands in the gospel. We know no other stand. Paul says, by which you are saved. The gospel saves the believer from the penalty of sin. Hell saves them from the power of sin. It taking over your life and saves you from the presence of sin. God is going to save us body, soul, spirit, the whole man. He's not playing around. He wants the whole package. And then Paul brings out something really sad. He says, unless you believed in vain, you know, there are some who believe in vain. And the gospel is a force of condemnation upon the false believer, the faker, the Christ rejecter. Listen, if you sit under the sound of the gospel and you do not receive it, you've got no excuse. We see in Romans that you, you have no excuse. Concerning God. So let's ask the question what does gospel mean? What is gospel? Well, Paul says in verse 3 here, we'll continue reading For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul is a participant of this. The preacher of the gospel must be a participant of the gospel himself. He, too, has received and stands and is saved in the gospel. He is not. If you look at his life, he is not one who believed in vain. And he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible talks about Christ dying for the sins of the people. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Again, it is Established, And we know that the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is testified by the prophets in the law. We find that out in that first part of Romans. We know this. So the, the, by looking at this, would you say this is bad news? That Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again? Would that be bad news? No. The gospel means good news. It's good news. Glad tidings. It's a message of hope, peace, or joy. Back in Romans, we saw that in verse 1, the gospel is called the gospel of God. This tells us a little bit about where the message comes from. It's the source, the origin of the gospel. We see in verse 9 that it's the gospel of of his son. This tells us the subject of the message. The object of the message. And then in verse 16 we see the gospel of Christ. And here we have the sufficiency of the message. Or the application. Now the gospel of God is concerning his son. It's all about his son. The gospel of his son is all about his sacrifice. 
and the gospel of Christ is all about the power of God demonstrated through man. We should ask the question then, when did the gospel start? Well, we know uh, that it didn't start here on earth. It didn't start from angels preaching it. It started in the mind and heart of God back in eternity. This is something God wanted to do before, before there was ever anything. God wanted to bring forth the gospel. We call it the gospel of God. In Titus 1-2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. This message got its origin in sovereign God who chose to save sinners by and through himself that he may be just and the justifier of all who believe. Now, since God is the origin of the gospel and that he makes an offer to sinners to be saved, then by the virtue of God's authority, the invitation of the gospel becomes command. Acts 17.30, but God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. That's Jesus. And he has given assurance of this to all and this is something we can take, package it, put it into your mind and your hearts. He's given assurance of all, of this to all, by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that the judgment of the world is coming. It proves that he is the Son of God with power. We see that in Romans. And it also shows that the believer is justified. Well, if you must believe the gospel, and you must, because your sins are forgiven in Christ. There's no other, no other name given among men by where we must be saved. It's Jesus. And if you're here this morning in the Lord's Supper, you heard about how he is the God-man. This message is a message of imperativeness. I do not consider the gospel to be an option. Some might. Some might say, you know, you can get saved. Or, well, you know, if you want to just do what you're doing, okay. But I have been persuaded it's not an option. Let me show you. Listen, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, I was thinking two weeks, but how about a month paid Fully taken care of vacation. Okay? You can lay down in a pine box and I'll nail the lid shut on that thing and lay it down in the ground six feet under and you can spend a month there. Or you can get on an airplane, okay, or if you want to go a train, first class to wherever you want to go. Let's say Hawaii. You'll be up on a nice penthouse overlooking the ocean, food brought to you, everything you want. You will be blessed in every way. Let me ask you something. Is that an option? Are those options? Does anybody want to be in a pine box? 
buried six feet under? Listen, you can go to hell or you can go to paradise. Is that an option? There is no option in the gospel. The gospel does not present an option To not obey the gospel of God is to be in rebellion and disobedience of your God, the God of heaven. Listen, God says you're a sinner. Believe him. God says he sent his son to die for your sins. Believe him. God says he raised him from the dead for you. Believe him. God says if you do, he will make you righteous bring you into heaven, and bless you in every way. Believe him. But if you don't, God says he will send you to hell. Believe him. So, as we consider the gospel, what is the gospel? What does it look like? Well, we present not a religious method, works, efforts. That's not what we present. present. We present a person, a savior. If someone preaches a message to you telling you to get saved, and they do not present the Son of God, as the saving means. That is not the gospel. If they commingle it with the law, they say, believe in Jesus, but also you have to be baptized. You got to keep the Sabbath. Oh, don't eat those foods. That is not the gospel. The gospel of God is about the Son of God. And here we're fronted with the gospel of His Son. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. God, who in various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he uh, also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're confronted with the gospel of his son. The son of God is the one who came out of God. He came from heaven. He's the Holy One. The term Son of God, I believe, means God Himself. The the fullness of God, the essence of God, all that God is, is manifested. It's revealed in the form of man. The Jews knew this. You see, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. That he made himself out to be God. When Jesus said, I am the son of God. They said, oh, you liar, you're not God. That's what the son of God means. It is God in the flesh. 
I wrote some things down here. He is in every way God manifested to man. He is the heir of all things and the one who made the worlds. He is the brightness of his glory in that he demonstrated the grace and truth of God. And he is the express image of his person. If you want to know what image God would take on, look at Jesus. Jesus even said, to see me is to see the Father. All things are held together by the word of his power, and he by himself, being God in the flesh, purged our sins and has taken the seat of honor and glory. He knew no sin, he did no sin, neither was there any sin in him. The Son of God is the sacrificial lamb. He's without blemish, spot, wrinkle, stain, blameless in every way, perfect. He fulfilled the law of Moses in all that he said and did and pleased God in every way, even at the cross of Calvary, where he was made a substitute for sinners, bearing their sin and the wicked sins they have committed. And the wrath of God was poured out on him for sin, and he propitiated the wrath of God. And in being God, he on the cross dismissed his spirit from his body. And became obedient to death. He was buried and then raised from the dead three days later, according to the scriptures. And the firstborn from the dead to show that all believers are justified and that judgment is coming. And that he's the son of God with power. Acts 13, 29 and 30 says, And when they had finished all that was written of him concerning him, They took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He's alive. He's living. You know, the sinner has every reason to worry. The righteousness of God, the justness of God brings no comfort to a wretched sinner. But the good news of the message is that God is a merciful God. The work is done. God's Son is pleading with sinners. Even this morning, right now, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are without the righteousness of God, Jesus says, come now. Let us reason together, you and I. And the believers say, please, Come, come to him. Be reconciled and receive the redemption he has secured for you. The full pardon of all your evil, wicked deeds and exchange your sinfulness for the very righteousness of God. To be clothed in Christ, a garment of righteousness, Robes that are white as snow. To don the garment of light. The brightness, the radiance that covers your nakedness. You see, in the fall of Adam and Eve, 
they realized they were naked creatures. It is imperative that you have clothing, that your nakedness be covered. The Bible says the shame of your nakedness to be in sin and disobedience to God is not the place you want to be. You want to be covered. Remember, Jesus, God's son, said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? What was their righteousness? It was, it was their own religious works and efforts. It was their very own effort to produce righteousness. And it's not enough. Jesus said, you have to exceed their righteousness. You have to be beyond that. They're here, you're going to have to be up here. You'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, Titus tells us, not according to our righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. We're saved by the mercy of God, not the things that we do. Every sinner who is a believer will be in heaven because of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. He will present us holy, spotless, and blameless himself. Our works have nothing to do with that. It's him. Isaiah is a little more blunt. He says, but we are all an unclean thing. And our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. The righteousness to enter into heaven needs to be the righteousness of God and nothing less. As we consider the gospel of his son, we find out that it's manifested. It is revealed in two ways. The gospel of his son, remember, is about his sacrifice, his sacrificial life. And when it comes to us bearing this precious message, the seed that's to enter into the good heart and bring forth an abundant produce, harvest. We have a responsibility, a huge responsibility. We see that first it is revealed by action. And secondly, it is re revealed by our words. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. What is this ministry? Simply put, this ministry is the opportunity of the Christian spending time with God. And as you do, as you behold the glory of the Lord, there's something that happens. And Paul illustrates this through a mirror. You're looking into this mirror and you don't see your reflection. What you actually see is the Lord in all his glory. You don't see your wretchedness, but you are physically wretched. We, we're in this body. You know, this is a shameful thing. But if I was to take all this off, you would say, put that back on. You're naked, man. Right? I mean, <laughs> that would be a foolish thing to do. 
But what we see is that this body will not change yet. But something happens as we behold the Lord, we are changed. If you are the same old Joe you were yesterday, today, you're not doing your ministry. You're not doing your work. We have received this We have this ministry, Paul says, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Verse 2. Because we have mercy, we keep going. Verse 2 says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness. This is is people who manipulate things. They they want to control for the outcome, for the benefit of themselves. But what does that sound like? It kind of sounds like the old nature to me, okay? You don't have to operate crafting. Listen, the Christian lets God take care of the future, the plans. It's in his hands. I don't have to be crafty about it. I just tell the truth, man. That's my job. Speak it as it is. Now, we need to do it in love. (laughs) We need to be kind. But tell the truth. We're not crafty manipulators nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And this is where it comes into our lives and the works that we do. Do you use the word of God to justify the things that you do that you know are not right? Do you kind of twist it to kind of make, you know, who was the first one who twisted the truth? It was that liar, the devil. He commingled the truth with a lie. Tricked Eve. And here we are, naked creatures. It's Adam's fault, you know. So, handling the word of God deceitfully, we've renounced these things. We don't, the Christian doesn't have anything to do with this. This is what the Christian has to do with. But by manifestation of the truth, revealing the truth. What is the truth? Let me just cut to the chase. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You get it? You know who it is? Manifesting, that Christ be manifested in our lives. And we do it in such a way that we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience. They watch our lives. They see what we do. It'll touch them. And we do this in the sight of God. You know, the all-seeing eye, man, he sees everything. There is nothing you can do in the measure of darkness and hiding out. If, you, if you're fooling around with things while you're by yourself, stop it. Okay? If you say you're a Christian, don't be doing things in front of people. Don't be doing things in private because people see it and God sees it. Let's get our lives straight. If it's not, get it straight. Let me ask you this question. How would you feel standing before the Lord? Not the great white throne of judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ. And things are looked over and to find out that through your conduct of walking according to the flesh. And yeah, Christians, we do. We sin. You find out that you caused just one person to turn away from Christ. 
How would you feel? Paul says, I bring my body into subjection. That when I preach, I myself am not disqualified. You know, some of you see me on a regular basis and some of you don't. Now, based on how I live my life, you could say, you know, Jeff, that, that's great. You did a lot of good, some good things, truth. But I know how you live. It will not impact your life. But if you see my life and you go, man, yeah, that's, whoo, man, he lives it. Now he's preaching it. Is it going to affect you? The same thing goes for each one of us when we get out there. Think of the words of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 5.16, let your light. John says that in him is life. And the life was the light of the world. Jesus says, let your light shine. Now you can define what light means here. Let your light so shine before men. Let it shine. What does Jesus want us to do? Well, he tells us that they may behold your good words. It's not what Jesus says. Your good works. And they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, it's what we do that is going to make a big impact with people we interact with. If you're fooling around with things and you try to share the gospel with them, don't get upset because they just kind of laugh and walk away. Now, I want to share something with you. I think this has some credence. Listen, our lives lived in holiness to God is the spearhead of the gospel. And our words is the shaft. Does it make sense to go out to war with no spearhead on your spear? Your words will have no impact if they don't see it in your life. That's the first way that the, the gospel of God's Son, His Son, is revealed. The other way is through our words. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the sake of time, we see that verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's committed to us this word of reconciliation. Okay? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here we have an obligation to say something, to speak the gospel. Paul says, as much as is in me, I'm ready. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was really ready. You know, sometimes I wonder how the prophets must have felt when God gave them a word to go to sinful people. 
who were not kind. Well, they understood God. Sometimes they'd have to go to a king, tell him he's wrong. Nathan confronting David. That's not easy. But in the gospel, we have a responsibility to tell the truth. Sinners don't want to hear it. This is not a message they want to hear. You mean I'm a liar? You mean I'm a wretch? I'm dirty? I'm filthy? They don't want to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. That you're, you're, you're so dirty, you can't get into heaven. It's too clean. Paul demonstrated these things, I believe, in Acts 24, 25, and 26. You had two governors, Felix and Festus, and then you had a king, King Agrippa. Felix, one who was very familiar with the Christian faith, the way, brings Paul over and says, listen, Paul, tell me of the faith of Christ. So Paul reasons with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And he talks to Felix and he tells him, Felix, listen, the righteousness of God, you're a sinner. You can have a new start, a new opportunity. And you know, you're you're not unfamiliar with the Christian faith. You know about Judaism here and stuff. You know it's not easy. Listen, God will, he'll give you self-control, temperance. He'll, he'll, He'll make you stand. You can live the life, man. And guess what? The judgment to come, you won't be a part of that. He tells Felix. And Felix is cut to the heart. He's like, oh, man. You know, Paul, come back tomorrow. You're bugging me. You're bothering this. this is, I, I don't want to hear this right now. So he shut up for two years. And then Festus, he's like, hey, I want to What's going on with this Paul guy here? Let's find out. You know, and some people come up with him. And, and these people accuse Paul of these terrible things. But they had no proof. And so uh, Festus says, uh, listen, Paul, you want to give a defense of yourself? Paul says, sure, yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you something. You know, considering the law of the Jews, the temple, and even Caesar, I have brought no offense. I am unaccusable. I have done nothing wrong. Paul testifies to these two men by word and by actions. And he lays a witness down. And then King Agrippa. Here we see with King Agrippa, he calls the sinner by name. Don't be afraid to call him by name. He says, King Agrippa. And he speaks to him and he says, listen, you need to repent. You need to turn to God. And you need to do works that are fitting repentance. All this has to make sense. And when Paul tells Agrippa, you need to repent. He's saying you got to change your mind about these idols. They're wrong. You need to believe they're wrong. And you need to believe God is right. And if you do, King Agrippa, you need to turn to God. Don't just, just believing in God doesn't save anybody. James in chapter 2 says, you believe in God? Well, you do good. You're doing well. You're almost there. But the demons believe and tremble. Believing in God doesn't get it for you. It's his son. So he tells him you need to turn to God. What is this? One, the mind is changed. Two, the body is changed. The direction is changed. We have a picture here of where he's turning to God. He's like, yeah, okay, this is repentance. 
This is the picture where the mind is changed and the body is then going to go, you know what? Yeah. And it turns to God and receives the gift. We see this is the, 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 uh, the results of a changed mind gives the person the ability to change their direction. And when you do, there's something important needs to happen. He says, do works befitting repentance. This simply is living in a way as to not bring into question your repentance. It means that after you have spoken, your actions don't make your words void. And so we see Paul has testified by word, by action, and he testifies by application. We're out of time. The final thing, how is the gospel sufficient? The sufficiency of the gospel. It is sufficient in that it meets the need of the whole man. The power of God is used to save the believer. Unbelievers don't get saved by the power of God. Believers do. It is the gospel of Christ. Paul says the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. What is salvation? It is to be Delivered, made safe, made sound. And here we have a beautiful picture of how we are delivered from the penalty of sin. We are made safe from the power of sin. We're justified, we're sanctified, and then we will be made sound or secure from the presence of sin forevermore. The glory that God is going to bestow upon us. The joy of sin being gone. And to enjoy God forevermore. Man is generally defined as intellect, emotions, and will. And we find out that in the fall, in the Garden of Eden, that the fall was total and absolute. And man's intellect, his thoughts were darkened. Because of unbelief. His emotions, his feelings, they became, they became guilty because of sin. They were sad. And his will became disobedient because of his rebellion. But then we see Christ. And here comes Christ. He's prophet, priest, and king. And the prophet, he brings light to the darkened intellect. And he brings them into the light that they're able to believe and to turn to God. And we see that, that the priest comes in with the acceptable sacrifices. And he removes the awful feelings of guilt and shame. And he brings them into the realm of joy and longing for God. And then we have the king who corrects the heart, uh, corrects the will, and rules the heart in righteousness. The greatest sin that we have amongst us today is this. It's unbelief. People just won't believe. Listen, if, you're a, if you have not believed, if you are, are, are not sure, let me ask you something here. 
Uh, perhaps you're living a life on the clean side of the broad road. Uh, you live a moral life. You do nothing really bad. Uh, you say, I've, I've never robbed a bank. I've never shot anyone. Uh, I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I pay my bills on time. I'm not in debt. Um, I help my neighbors. I live a better life than most. I'm, I'm, really, I'm a good person. Really? Well, you know, maybe those things are true. But nevertheless, you're still on the broad road. And the Bible says the broad road leads to destruction. If you're not saved, had your sins dealt with, the guilt is removed, the fear of death and the grave is gone. If you're not ready to meet God, why not do it now? Do it right now in the confines of your own heart and mind. Obey the gospel. It would be good if somebody obeyed the gospel today if, if there's someone here who needs it. We're offering you to, today the gift of God's righteousness, eternal life. It's the only choice. It's the only option there is. If you don't know what to say, tell God you believe you're a sinner. Tell God you believe God loves you. Tell God you believe that he sent his son to die for you. Tell God you believe Christ is able to save you. And most of all, as we learned in Romans, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. Tell God thank you for saving you and glorify him. If you have believed right now, you have become a child of God. There's one last thing that I want to share with you for the sinner. When you get saved, follow the example of the Lord Jesus. He went into the waters of baptism to be associated with sinners. We encourage the believer to go into the waters of baptism to be associated with Christ. If you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, take a stand with him. Be baptized. Now, if you're saved, you know you're going to heaven. It is well with your soul this morning. The final words are these, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, let me just say it's the dishonor. You know, if a, a man's in the military or a woman, they're an officer, and they conduct themselves in an unrighteous way. They call it unbecoming of an officer. They get a dishonorable discharge, possibly. They are dishonored. There should not be 
shame among Christians. We know the shame of our nakedness. If we're covered in Christ, then we need to deal with the issue, the dishonor. And it's simply this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you find yourself in unrighteousness, believer, just tell God about it. And this will happen. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let's pray. Father, oh God in heaven, we come before you this morning and thank you that you are a holy God and a righteous God. Father, in all your justice, you did not let sin go by. Father, you have not let anyone get away with it. Nobody was able to get away with it, even your son, bearing the sin of the world. If anyone could have got away with it, Father, your son could have. He's the son of God, but you punished him for the sin of the world. Father, he stood in the gap. He stood in the place, and we thank you. We thank you for this salvation that is based upon your son and his sacrifice and that your power, O oh God, is unto salvation. And it's upon all that believe in your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we think of our dear friends who might be here that are not Christians. We pray that their heart is prepared to receive this precious seed that brings them into brings them into the righteousness of God, entrance into heaven, and to stand before your presence, O oh God. We lift them up before you. If anyone is here unsure, Father, we pray that this message will ring in their ears until they decide. Bless them, Father. Bless them in all your ways as you work in their hearts. And for those of us who know you, or rather are known by you, Father, we pray that you will bless our hearts and edify our hearts concerning your great and glorious gospel, the work that is set before us to spend time with you, to spend time in your word, to learn about your son and to grow in the great grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that every saint here will be edified. We pray, Father, we'll live holy lives because you're a holy God. Father, we lift everything up before you. We know that you're in control of everything, that your son is in control. We know that we have a precious promise of heaven because of your son. Father, we pray for your safety and for your comfort and for all that you bless us in as we go and depart from here now. And be with all those who could not be here this morning. And for the sake and glory of the Lord Jesus, we ask and pray these things in his name. Amen.